Welcome to Psychology of the Bible, where we've been looking at the Word of God, and we've been looking at seeing uh, kind of what the Word of God teaches us about the human mind. My name is David, and I'm here with Ed Drew. Ed, uh, it's good to talk to you again. Good to be here, Dave. Really excited about talking about um, kicking off the new year with Adam and Eve, Genesis, new year, you know, start fresh. When you pitched like, the idea, I thought, yeah, Adam and Eve seems like an obvious kind of start to to the to the new year because it is the beginning i mean everything goes back to that anytime you know we we look at scripture you know most of everything can be tied back to the beginning and adam and eve is a fascinating story it's a story we find play out in uh, a lot of different areas in history and culture a lot of uh, religions have their origin stories and so this happens to be uh, our origin story and it's it's a great it is a great one man um so uh, I, I wanted to start off by highlighting one thing that really needs to be uh, taught more thoroughly uh, that somehow got completely missed in how the church talks about the, the creation narrative is that the word God throughout that entire narrative is used in the plural form. The, the literal translation is in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. Um, and, and it it culminates with the phrase, uh, let us create man in our own image. Hmm. And so this is really the earliest allusions to the Trinity, yeah. I think, that, yeah. that God is talking us. He's yes. not saying I am creating the world. He's saying we are creating the world. And uh, that, that tells us that God is a deeply relational God presenting us uh, with himself or themselves, I should say, as, as a, a communal uh, deity. And... Um, but, and with that said, I think that the, when God said that it, it is not good for man to be alone, I, I think he was alluding to the fact that he had just created man in his own image. And Needing God's, and wanting to be connected to something yeah. bigger than themselves. Yeah. yeah. God exists as a holy and perfect union of love. And, and he created us in, our, in his image. And so we need love and connection. Yeah. It's central to who we are. And it's it's right there in the creation narrative. And, and I'm not sure it's been adequately emphasized the way we've taught Genesis in the past. And so I, I do want to focus on the fact that before the fall, there was a strong theme of love and unity. Yeah. And the, the man and woman were naked and unashamed, nakedness being symbolic of transparency, vulnerability, all these the beautiful things that we love to have. That, that sadly get interrupted by by sin that make yeah. it hard to be vulnerable and transparent unsafe even sure um so th that was the main thing i wanted to point out when i read the the genesis narrative uh, i think wow this is just so deeply relational and we um, see that throughout the scriptures we see how the bible keeps taking us back we've talked about this i believe in forgiveness forgiving one another as we forgive uh, as we, we're to forgive one another as we want God to forgive us. I mean, we see this connection, this constant connection between you and I um, and, and, our, and our fellow human beings. We want to be alone. We have this like idea of, you know, being a, a solo person, but the scriptures continue to draw us back in to, to that. And I love that you've called that out in Genesis because, I mean, I've even drawn back, you know, the Holy Spirit. It talks about how he hovers over the water in the beginning and how we find, you know, the Holy Spirit there in Genesis as well, which again is another reminder that uh, the Trinity is present, that, that there is this relationship that, that it's not being done um, 
by, you know, one person himself, but the creation of the world is being done through the Trinity. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's a beautiful, it's a beginning reminder that we see as a theme carried out through scripture that God is annoyingly relational. He is constantly (laughs) calling us into relationship with one another and himself, and we need one another. We cannot get away from one another as much as we try. And so, no, it is a great reminder. Right, right. And, and I think it's really important to highlight a characteristic of the relationship that God had with Adam was that a very empowering one, um, that uh, God let Adam name all the animals. Yeah. And, and Genesis tells us that whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Yeah. God's saying your label of this creature will become the authority. You know, God didn't name the animals and say, hey, Adam, this is what they're called. He said, Adam... You name these things and that will be yeah. its true name. Yeah. And that's the power. That's work. You know, we think of utopia as not involving work, but there was work involved. There was effort involved. Um, there, was, there was a lot going on, but it was, yeah, what a, what a wild and beautiful and scary opportunity to name all the animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If it were me, I'd be like, that's hippo two, that's hippo three. You know, once you come up with a creative name, I'd just start tagging numbers to it. I mean, but there was a lot of work and effort involved in that, which is, which is deeply personal. Right. Absolutely. And and, and I point that out because, um, you know, there's a popular term in psychology today called the codependency, you know, and we've talked about codependency in the past. and, and sometimes people shy away from the, the profound love of God pre- presented in Christianity because they, they are fearful of that sounding codependent or controlling. But really, Bible presents God as a loving, benevolent being that provided for Adam and empowered him and gave him autonomy, gave him options. And uh, it, it, in fact, he even gave him the option of putting the tree of knowledge of good or evil there in the garden. You know, I, yeah. I once yeah. told somebody, you know, God created hell because he loves us too much to imprison us in heaven. Yeah. Wow. He doesn't want to be there against our will. He says, you know, you, you, you have these options. Free will does exist. The Bible validates that. And um, this is the, the clear thing that deviates from, from codependency. So this is a profoundly loving and involved relationship, but it's one that's empowering and encouraging of individual autonomy, yeah. which is kind of the telltale sign of healthy relationships, you know? Because we have that choice. We have the ability to walk away or accept. And, and free will is a, a big part of uh, a big part of what, what Jesus did. And so I think it's important that we accent that we have the free will. But I think what God did so beautifully was he created the, the idea that if we choose to be in relationship with him, we have to choose to be in relationship with others. And there's a blessing to that. There's a benefit to that. We weren't created to be alone. Right. Absolutely. Man was not created to be alone, but he does have the option to be alone. He has the choice. Yeah. We, we can isolate to yeah. a toxic extent. And some of us do sometimes. Um, and on that note, I want to move into the fall, which I think triggered a place of isolation and division. So whereas before the fall, the theme was this wonderful unity and relationship after the fall, it, it turned into division and a toxic kind of competitiveness. Uh, the word enmity is used uh, repeatedly in scripture and, and uh, it's you know, talking about enemies. It's like yeah. we created a really toxic dynamic here. Um, and the very first thing that happens to Adam and Eve after they eat of the fruit is, 
you know, that nakedness that they were so happy with, so content with, that vulnerability, yeah. that transparency, it goes away. They have to cover themselves up. They feel yeah. shame, right? Yeah. And so, so right off the bat, we see guardedness coming yeah. in. Like we're not safe with each other. We're not safe to be real with each other. And, and metaphorically now we've been doing that ever since. We, we cover ourselves up. We can't yeah. be real with each other. We can't be genuine with each other because we're so fearful of being judged. Yeah. And that fear sadly is valid because we are judgmental creatures yeah. because of that original sin. But we also project that sometimes onto God. Like I love in that, in that specific incident, God doesn't say, why'd you do that? You made a mistake. You're such, you're, you're filthy people. He says, who told you you were naked? And there's something really interesting in that sentiment where it's like, Hey, who told you this is how you were now? You know, who told you about this? What's going on? He could have easily chastised them. Is that I gotcha? I mean, they were living in a world where they literally could do anything that they wanted to do except for one thing. Like we always, when you talk about free will, when we look at the Adam and Eve story, we always talk about how, you know, well, they were, maybe they were set up to fail or they, we always emphasize the tree and the snake and the apple because it makes for a fun kid's story. But the, what we don't usually emphasize is the reality that they were free to do what they want. Just don't eat the fruit. Like we're free to do what we want. Uh, you know, the Bible is all about freedom. Um, mm. And then when we choose the wrong thing, God isn't there waiting like a, a policeman in a speed trap. He's there going, hey, who told you you're not free anymore? Who told you that you're naked? Um, right. And it's fascinating, too, to point out that God's love transcends the fall because he made clothes out of animal skins. Genesis yeah. 3.21 tells us this. So after the fall, when he's sending them out in the world, he made clothes for them. Hmm. He cares about them. He's covering them up. And when I read that passage, what comes to my mind is what we talked about in our last podcast is the parable of the prodigal son. The father rushes out, puts his robe around yeah. the son. This, this is extremely important uh, symbolically because uh, in that day, in that culture, as to some degree in our culture, uh, clothing symbolizes status. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're wearing a nice clean robe, you can walk around town and, and people just respect you. Just assume you're somebody important, you know? Yeah. So when the, the father and the pro prodigal son put his robe around the, the, the son, he, he's saying, I want you to be respected, to feel safe. He was clothing his son. And this is what God is doing with Adam and Eve. It's saying, you know, you've sinned and you've offended me, but I want you to be protected, to be safe. Yeah. And Which is he still loves. Yeah, it's such a beautiful picture of what he's doing for us, even now through grace and through uh, his mercy. You know, I think a lot of people don't turn to God for forgiveness or grace because they think he's going to be angry. And yet from the very beginning of time, he's proven that. Uh, it's love. It's constant love. Even when we disappoint, even when we fail, even when we mess up, it's, it's love that is extended. It's love. He wants to love us out of our sin. He wants to love us out of our poor choices. But like you said, he still provides the clothes. He still, he still provides the care um, in hopes yeah. that we'll turn back to him. And, you know, we see this play out in our, in our lives with our kids and, you know, our kids make a lot of mistakes and, uh, mess up a whole lot. And we have the choice even in ourselves uh, to go, Hey, we're going to extend grace and love and mercy uh, and forgiveness and kindness, or, or are we going to come down hard? And, and uh, you know, I think there's a measure of, of, of both, but at the same time, like even 
in our punishment, it's done out of love. It's done out of uh, grace. It's done out of compassion uh, in an effort to turn our own kids away. Uh, but man, I mean, our, our kids hurt us. They break our hearts. I can't imagine how much more, you know, it breaks God's heart for us to continue to choose the apple on the tree when we know that there's so much more available to us. But once again, God just keeps clothing us. Yeah. Yeah, he, he absolutely does. Um, and, and thinking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I, I love to ask the question, what does it really represent? Yeah. Because it, it doesn't feel right to say that God was trying to withhold knowledge from Adam and Eve. Um, and I've heard Bible scholars say that the best way to understand that the, the language and the intention behind the tree of knowledge of good and evil is that it is the self-perceived ability to decide for yourself what is right or wrong. Yep. Rather than having a holy authority, you know, say this, this is what holiness looks like. Say, I'm going to decide for myself. And so the original sin, I think, is the birthplace of self-righteousness. It's the ability to say, no, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm yeah. good, you're evil. And it creates that division, you know, yeah. and, and it creates that tribalistic, competitive style thinking, that enmity. Yeah. Because as soon as everybody can decide for themselves what's right and wrong, everybody's going to come to different conclusions. Yeah. That absolutely happens in our world. And that's why human history has been fraught with warfare and people not being able to get along with each other because yeah. everybody's right in their own eyes. Sure. And we live that way. And, and it's interesting to me that the, that the enemy was tempting them with the knowledge of good and evil when they were already created in God's image. So did God create them without the knowledge of good and evil. Like I think the enemy was tempting them with something that they may have even already had. Like there's always a measure of truth in all temptation or a measure of something that sounds good in all temptation. And so I just, I, I often ask the question, you know, what were they missing? What were they lacking that was held in that tree that God didn't give them if they were created in God's image? Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of uh, a hilarious comic I saw about Adam and Eve and it shows them sitting around a campfire uh, roasting something over the fire and you can't make it out at first, but underneath it says, God never said we couldn't eat the serpent. And it turns out they're roasting <laughs> over the fire. It's like, what if, you know, what if they'd had the wisdom yep, to do that? That's uh, great. And the, how cool would that have been? Um, I just love that comic and the, kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of inspiring too. Like yep. maybe, maybe we should be looking for ways to roast the serpent rather yep. than eat it would have changed the course of human history. I mean, our the child child bear, child bearing would have been easier, and and lawn care would have been easier. I mean, it would have changed the course of history. But um, you know, we we are where we are, and and we're fortunate because we have a God who's loving and and merciful and kind. But we were created in His image, so in my mind, Adam and Eve lacked nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they didn't even need clothing. They had unlimited food supply, yeah. you know, yeah, right. Get all this other fruit, they could just walk around lots of edible stuff, yep. you know, and, and it was a garden too. It's called the garden of Eden. Like God planted this. It wasn't yeah. just like, Hey, here's a wild jungle. You can run around in. Yeah. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's homier than that. This is a very hospitable God who, who has set his children up for success, you know? Yep. Yep. For sure. And, and it's this utopian society. And yet, um, and yet we realize that even in utopian society, there is an option to find sin 
and there is work that we're to put our hands to as Adam was, you know, charged with caring for the garden. Um, you know, there, there's a measure of things that, that still we do today that are important and healthy and wholesome. Uh, but it was utopia, you know, it was, it was yeah. perfection. Yeah. And God promises, even in the midst of the fall, I love this when he's issuing his, like, um, issuing his consequences in Genesis chapter three. Well, since this has happened, here's the divisions. Like you've mentioned, the childbearing would be more painful, that work will involve more toil. Yes. Even in the midst of that, there's um, Genesis 3.15 is the promise of coming salvation. There's an allusion to that. I, I remember the fancy word I learned in seminary that Genesis 3.15 is the proto-evangelium. I don't know if you're familiar with I am term. not. <laughs> it's a very academic term. Very, you know, yes. heady theologians love that term. But they talk about Genesis 3.15 being the first allusion to Christ's eventual coming salvation. And, and, and what it reads is, God is saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Mm. Saying, the devil is going to be coming at us and annoying us, but... We're, but Jesus is going to, the offspring of the woman is going to come along and crush the serpent's head. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So good. Oh, yep. actually paid homage to that. If you, you're familiar with the passion of the Christ. I yes. mean, who isn't, there's a scene uh, when Christ in that movie, when Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane and uh, he, there's a serpent crawling near his foot and they mm. show him stomp on its head. Nope. You know, saying that this is this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Yeah. This is the, the, the defeating of Satan happening here. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And uh, yet we're still tempted. You know, there's still this this temptation because God has given us free will. We still have this kind of metaphorical tree in all of our lives that that's still out there. It's still available. And, uh, and it's, and I think that temptation is there to remind us that we're free. It's there to remind us that every time we, you know, turn away from, you know, whatever is tempting us to sin, we're choosing God. It's a constant reminder that we don't have to choose God. And yet we, we do. Um, so even though Satan has been defeated, you know, we still have to wrestle with this, uh, war has been won with the battle, you know, we still continue to fight. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the consequences of the fall, but I want to zoom in on what happens in the dialogue between uh, the serpent and Eve. Um, and partially for my own sake, because I know I, I've struggled with the past uh, in, with the question of uh, if Eve was so holy, then how come she was able to fall in the first place? How yeah. come she was able to suck it into this? You know, what's really going on here? And I think it heavily comes down to how incredibly manipulative the serpent was. Yeah. Um, now, I want to highlight the two key things that the serpent says to Eve and how they are really are like red flag, like staple uh, styles of communication of manipulative people. Uh, he starts with a, a very presumptive, disingenuous question. He says to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Yeah. Of course, that's not what God said, yeah. right? He's already trying to put Eve on the defensive, right? get, her, get her questioning things. You know, he, he's trying to demean God, make it sound like God's overbearing and unreasonable. And that's what the devil tries to do. And sadly, people even to this day and age buy into that. Yep. You know, we yep. project our, our own sin and judgmentalism onto God and see him as overbearing. And that's certainly what the devil wants, the way yep. the devil wants us to see God. Um, it's not the way scripture actually presents God to us. And so we, we see that happening right off the bat. And Eve tries to reason with him innocently enough. 
But then the devil does the other thing that you know, narcissistic manipulative people can do, which is he issues a, a presumptive statement. He said a very arrogant statement. Yeah. After she talks about how they'll die if they eat of the, the tree, he said, you will not surely die. Yeah. So he now he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. He's not. He doesn't make the rules. You know, for for him to talk that way is really talking several levels above his pay grade. Yeah. You know? Yep. And, and this is where arrogance and narcissism can really mess with the human mind because we are such relational creatures and we do long for connection. That when somebody speaks of something in a tone of absolute certainty, part of us is just tempted to believe. Yes, they're right. It's like well, or we at least reason with them, as you see Eve trying to do. She's trying to rationalize. She's trying to reason, and you can't reason with someone who's unreasonable. Um, and right. we do that with sin all the time. We try to rationalize it. We talk it through. We, you know, we vet it, or we just kind of maybe just a little. And 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 that that that's not an appropriate way to handle the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, sometimes I'll tell my clients, hey. Trying to reason with a narcissistic person is like trying to play chess with a pigeon, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. no matter how good your moves are, you could be Bobby Fisher. You could be yeah. playing the best moves. That pigeon is just going to waltz all over the board, randomly knock over pieces however it wants to, yep. and then it's going to strut around victoriously like it just won yep. by its own, you know, own, own subjective standards, right? Yeah. And uh, this is how narcissistic people conduct themselves in conversation. They'll make these arrogant like statements and they'll they'll talk as if they're the winner in the, the debate even though they they've not like won by any reasonable set of rules right. defined by anybody else right, right. and and so the the thing to do with with manipulative people is really get away from them because you're not going to win a debate with them yep right yep um and so with that getting back to what the devil actually said he said you will not surely die he then um and then he, he paints the knowledge as a benefit. He talks about how, oh, you, you'll come to be as knowledgeable as God is and God's afraid of you competing with him or something like that. This is the way devil tries to paint it. Uh, once again, trying to paint God as this like fickle, insecure, you know, overbearing creature who, who needs, you know, Adam and Eve to follow in lockstep with his rules or else he won't be able to handle it. Um, no. And that that's... That's just such an ugly and and uh, untrue and arrogant way to depict God. And we, yeah. we see the devil's enmity with God right here in this moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it, all that to, to say also, I think one of the hardest questions I have about the whole creation narrative that I still struggle with sometimes is why did God put the serpent in the garden to begin with? Mm. Why did he even allow him to be there? That's good. And, and maybe because God, in his foreknowledge, really for, foresaw all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God does indeed have a plan for all this. And, and God did want his children to have options. Yep. Um, yeah. It's the only way we know we have free will is to have options. Yeah. Yeah. Free will in, certainly involves the ability to mess up. And yep. when we feel the pain, we're like, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. I messed up. I did that. Yeah. That was my choice. Yep. Yeah. And we don't want to pay the consequences of those choices often. And that's a lot of the struggle that we face as, as regular people, but also as, as people who choose to follow Christ, is that we don't want to pay those consequences. We want the free will. 
without the consequences that come with that. I don't want to pay my taxes, but I don't want the government to garnish my wages. I, you know, want to, you know, do whatever I want, but I don't want anyone to care. I mean, they're, they're, we want what we want without the consequences. And that's not the way that God has set the order of the universe up. We, we have consequences, but we also have free will. And he gives us the ability and the strength, if we'll ask him to, to choose wisely and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, you know, there, there's, there are the consequences that we have to pay the price for. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, getting back to the, the manipulative way the, the devil messed with Eve's head, I, I think it's worth noting what he got her to step into in her own mind. Uh, the scripture says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she's bought into the notion that this has a benefit yeah. to her, right? Which is a lie. You know, the, the fruit was never something that was going to make her any wiser. Um, it, it's going to make her more self-righteous. Yeah. And that, that's effectively what it did. Um, such that, you know, she becomes more judgmental. So does Adam. They become fearful of each other's judgment. They have to clothe themselves. They have to become guarded. The, you know, humans have all this enmity between one another because we're all very self-righteous beings. Yeah. Um, so the devil's trick worked and he, it worked mainly because he made the sin look really beautiful. Yep. And, but that's how it always does. Sin always looks pretty enticing. There's always a measure of truth to it. There's always something somewhat wholesome to sin. You know, all, most, if not all sin is, is something righteous that's taken out of context. It's something that's holy or created for good. That's taken too far. Not all sin, maybe, maybe all sin, but we'd have to tease that out. But regardless, if you look at, you know, lust, it's when it's in its boundaries, it's healthy, um, you know, uh, gossip, I guess there's a measure of, you know, sharing one's heart. I mean, there are all these things that are just taken out of context. And, and, and so that's how the enemy works most often. And that's why it's so effective is, you know, that whole, it's just, is that really what God meant? You know, let's, let's, let's discuss this, you know, let's debate this. This is really what God meant. And, and then we start thinking, well, maybe it's not what God meant. You know, when he told me not to eat of the tree, maybe, maybe it's not really what he meant and start rationalizing and, and just our mind starts playing tricks on us and, and our brain tends to fill in some gaps and tells a different narrative than, than what's true. And all of a sudden we start ended up in this, you know, really interesting headspace where it makes it easier for us to make a bad decision with a clear conscience. Yeah. And it all started because we wanted to rationalize or, or, or uh, you know, flirt with this idea that, that we knew in the beginning was wrong. Even knew from the very beginning that that was a bad decision. Walking away and not even talking to the snake would have been the better option. Uh, but it's not the option that many of us choose, uh, even yeah. in our own lives. Yeah. Or uh, engaging the, a healthy level of anger and uh, killing the snake. Right. You know? Sure. Shoot over a fire like the comic yep. strip. Yep. That could have been that could have been an option. No, I mean, I know you're lying to me. I know this is not right. This is not going to benefit my life. I'm going to cut you cut you out right now. Uh, yeah. Versus kind of flirting with it. But I think that speaks to our narcissism. That speaks to our pride. We feel like we have a strong handle on our temptation. We feel like we have a strong handle on our. Um, I guess our, our ability to make wise choices, we, we put too much pride in ourself. Um, and, and so we think, well, I can, I can get close to the tree. I can touch the tree. I can, I can hold the tree, you know, I can just hold the apple. We start, I can just talk to the snake for a bit. And, and we start thinking that we're stronger than we really are apart from God. Uh, and I think we get ourselves in, in, in a lot of trouble because 
we're simply not willing to admit that that we're weak people uh, and in need of God, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to come and circle back to the term codependency because we talk about how we are weak people in need of God and how that is not codependency because that is a benevolent God who empowers us. Yeah. Right? And we live a richer, fuller life because of him. But there is a real theme of codependency that we see here in the way that Eve lets herself be controlled by the devil or by, by the serpent, I should say. And also, by the way, Adam lets himself be controlled by Eve. Right? Interesting. Yes. Yep. You know, and codependency is a very unhealthy form of relationship where one loses one's sense of self hmm. and, and loses their own sense of autonomy and, and becomes uh, overly obsessed with just trying to appease the other person in the relationship. Or, or lets that control, whether it's because that other person is demanding or if they're willfully manipulative, lets them start to take control of their life. Yep. Um, and, and we definitely see that in the way the devil kind of like digs his psychological claws into Eve's mind. You know, the way he starts with this, this presumptive question and then his big arrogant statement, he's trying to get her to give up the empowerment and autonomy she has in God. Yep. And go along with his plan, right? Yeah. And so he has lured her into a codependency. And I, I've often mused if maybe an effective way of defending sin is that sin is always involves some level of codependency with the devil. Mm. Let ourselves get lured in, let ourselves become partners in his decision making process. You know, uh, I think every human sin does involve some influence from the devil and human choice. Yeah. And you get so mixed up, you know, there's that old catchphrase, the devil made me do it, which isn't really true. You know, we right. have free will, right. but it's a popular phrase because the devil's temptation and its powers is such a real force of yeah. influence uh, that it does feel true sometimes. Yes. Um, and, uh, and I think maybe the effective way of understanding sin and why it's so toxic for the human soul is that it always involves some level of codependency with the devil. Yeah. Well, now you've given up some of your own decision-making abilities and given it over to the devil. And, you know, that sounds so awful and so terrifying. And yet I, I really do think it's there in pretty much every human sin that we commit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No question. Uh, no question. Uh, and, and, and so many people are stuck in that relationship and they don't feel like there's a pathway out. And I think it's so important that we have to constantly remind ourselves that we are free. Like we are, have been set free by the blood of Christ, like the work of the cross, mm -hmm. we are free. Um, and, and we often place ourselves in a prison of our own making and that's not how we were designed. And, and I think that's the thing that, that the snake kept trying to remind of Eve is, hey, eat this and you'll be, you'll be free. Well, she was already free. He was tempting her with something that she already was. She was already uh, completely free. And, and I think we, we lose sight of that. We think we need these things in our lives um, in order to you know, feel free or whatever, but they're really just prisons of our own making. Uh, and, and we found ourselves in captivity and and so I, I don't know, I, I periodically kind of have a breath prayer that I pray that I'm like, I'm free. You know, I, I'm, I'm not bound by whatever situation uh, I'm in right now. I just, I have to tell myself periodically, I'm free, uh, free to choose rights. I was created free, designed free. Um, and, and so I just think we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that we lost a good bit of our freedom in the fall. 
Yeah. And, uh, and, and salvation basically restores it into yep. us. Yep. You know, one way of thinking about free will is that it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, because if you compare Adam to all the other animals, um, I've, you know, I studied biology in college and I'm a firm believer that I love animals tons. I love my dog, but I, I don't believe at all that animals have free will. Right. You know, I, I think they're pretty much driven there by their biological needs. And in fact, to a pretty predictable extent, you know, yeah. behaviorists and people who study animals for their, whether ecology in the wild or just study animal behavior in captivity, um, they can pretty reliably predict yeah. the way animals are going to act. Um, animals do not have free will, but humans have free will because we're created in the image of God. And free will is exactly what got compromised in the fall because we entered into a state of codependency with the devil and invited him into the world to, to start causing all kinds of problem. And I, I, I think that's so tragic, but it's also, again, getting back to the Proto-Evangelium, so beautiful that God has, he has a plan for that. God has a fail safe in place. Yeah. He's sending his son out to rescue us. Yeah. Right? Yep. And rescue us uh, is, is exactly it, but we've got to, we've got to accept the, the life preserver, you know, we've got to recognize that we're in that codependent relationship and um, you know, yeah. we've, we've got to, we've got to accept that. And right. And that's tough because I think when you get, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm making an educated guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're in the middle of a codependent relationship, practically, uh, you don't really realize it. Am I right? Like it's, it's hard to recognize you're in a codependent relationship. I don't think Eve recognized it at all. Right. And it's only until something happens or someone points it out or something like that, where you realize, Hey, wait, I've been, been manipulated and I've been kind of drawn into this. The same happens with sin. You don't, we don't always realize that we're in this codependent relationship with, with the enemy or with, uh, you know, with our sin. And, and we, we just see it as kind of normal. Um, and yeah. then it's only when someone reminds us or we read a scripture or something, something happens. We're like, Oh, wait, this isn't how I was created to live. You know, um, there's a better way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a beautiful reminder. And I, I think this kind of ties all the way back around to, you know, what we were saying is kind of the first of the year, even though we're, you know, maybe a couple of weeks in, you know, this is a great time, I think for, for everyone, I love the first of the year to go, Hey, you know, what relationships have I entered into that are healthy? What, what, what am I into that are unhealthy? What's what habits have I picked up that are healthy? What are unhealthy and how have I kind of entered into these, you know, codependencies and, and, and start fresh, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So. And um, I, I just want to say, you know, as we, we ease off towards the end here, that uh, to anyone listening to this, if you or a loved one is struggling with codependency or, or trapped in a manipulative relationship, uh, there's a couple resources I could plug you into. One is that there's groups called Codependence Anonymous hmm. where people can come and share. Uh, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's yep. just a, a safe place to come and talk about your struggles with other people who've been through similar stuff. And that can be a good resource. Or you're welcome to look me up at my website, which is walkingbridgetherapy.com. Uh, and I um, love uh, helping people get out of manipulative, codependent relationships, yeah. or at least empower them to have more of a voice in relationships. Because oftentimes the relationship isn't completely awful or irreparable. It's just something where they need to feel more empowered and have a voice in it. Yeah. And as a therapist, I'm all about empowering people. Good. 
It's good to have people and, and I'll, you know, go ahead and second. And, and I think if, if you've been listening to this for any amount of time, you know that, you know, Ed was my counselor for a number of years while I was living in Chattanooga as well. And, and so I, I echo that it's good to find someone, but I highly recommend you Ed, as well, but it's good to have somebody who, who can help you kind of navigate that because it's hard to know, um, you know, which, which direction to go and how to get out of those and how to healthily, you know, some of those codependent relationships are, you know, a spouse and you just can't walk away. You've got to learn how to navigate those in a healthy way where you keep the relationship, but you change the dynamics. Yes, absolutely. And that's tough. Yeah. Codependent relationships can sink so deep into our mind and into our subconscious and have so much influence over us that it can be very hard to change one or or break free of one unless you have healthy relational support helping you do this. Absolutely. Pastor, uh, you know, support group are are all very important things because, um, man, codependency is ugly. It can really mess with us. It is. Takes, it takes uh, healthy people in our lives to, to help us get out of it. Yep, it does, for sure. So get in relationship. We were created to be in relationships. Uh, we were designed for it. In fact, there's a thing in our lobby that we you know, put letters on and spell words, and, and it right now says you were designed for relationships to remind people that we, we need to be in community. We need to be helping one another and, and leaning on one another. Uh, nobody was created to do life alone. So uh, find your community. Uh, so absolutely. Well, Ed, thanks so much. If uh, you're listening and you find value in this content, uh, we invite you to share it, uh, rate it, review it. Uh, this really helps us as we continue to provide encouragement. And uh, even though we don't record every single week, we're recording as often as we possibly can uh, to continue to provide support and help. Um, and so uh, let us know uh, if there's maybe a topic that you'd love to hear if there's something that we could do that would bring value to your life. But uh, Ed, I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Take care.